Hi everyone, welcome back to Demand Decoded. Thanks for tuning in and taking the time to join us. And today we're going to be diving into HubSpot's State of Marketing 2024 report and discuss what some of the stats mean for marketers and give some of our take on it, basically. It covers things like where marketers are spending their budget and resources, which channels are hitting or missing the mark, how they're using AI, the social landscape, and a lot more. So we're going to dig into all of that and give some hot takes and see what we do agree and do not agree on. So it should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Bill, another year and another state of marketing report is here. What were your initial thoughts on it? Um, yeah, as you say, another another year, another report. And the state of marketing report is always interesting. Um, HubSpot never fails to pose the interesting questions um, that, you know, that matter to marketers and to gather an awful lot of very useful and interesting data. The, the thing that stood out for me this year, though, as we went through it to, to see what our um, findings and takeaways from it were, were that more than ever, the, the fact that it pulls B2C and B2C response, B2B and B2C responses together um, has produced some really interesting results that I think need scrutinizing before you act on them because B2C marketing and B2B marketing have their similarities, but also have huge differences where they take place, how they take place, channels that are effective, the, the purchase price and value of things being sold. And so this time, perhaps even more than in years before, seeing the results, you know, really showed, I think, that if, if, if you can't distinguish which results are B2C and which are B2B and you act on them, you know, across the board, you might make some missteps. So throughout our review of it and throughout our response, you know, we've always been looking to say, well, can we confidently deduce that this is skewed towards one audience by the responses of one audience or another? It would be really nice. And I think, you know, it, it makes me wonder whether there's how much value there is in creating a combined report when the advice needed by both communities is so different. Um, but it would be wonderful to see the, the B2C and B2B data separated out. And I feel like one year that was the case, mm. but it's not this year. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope we're not kind of saying, you know, don't listen, don't read the report. It's still valuable. So, you know, don't just switch off. Um, no, just and we're going we're gonna to try and indicate where we feel confident that it's a B2B specific outcome versus a B2C specific outcome. And I think you can be. But you've just got to be of the of the of the mindset that the surveyed sample combines the both. Yeah, well, actually, I thought I'll just bring that up. Um, ah, okay. Just, just before we get in, so the survey uh, it was surveyed in September 2023 with a total of 1,400 global B two B and B two C marketers across industries. Um, countries represented were Australia, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Japan, Luxembourg. Netherlands, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, United Kingdom, and United States. So, yeah, quite a big range in there. I'm not going to dive into all the industries. It's a lot. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of kind of generic um, data and widespread, I would say. So, um, a good sample, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, yeah, let's get into things and share some thoughts. 
if you are watching live, by the way, we'd also love to hear your thoughts as we go too. So if you do agree or disagree with us, then, you know, let us know. It'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts too um, on these things. Absolutely. Right. So let's bring up the state of marketing report. Um, right. So we've got some intro here. Yeah. So he, here's the things that it's going to go through um, kind of in a funnel kind of shape, I would say, like in that kind of journey, awareness, engagement, personalization, efficiency and growth. Um, and then that's broken out into a few different areas. So I'm just going to skip past some of this introductory stuff and get into the juicy stats. Right. So the first thing um, that caught our eye and I think is worth discussing is the goals, challenges and trends um, that have been presented here and the reports that go along with that. So what do you think to this, Phil? Which channels have resulted in the biggest ROI this year? So we've got website blog SEO at 16%. Social media shopping tools like Instagram shop, I'm assuming uh, TikTok shop would be included in that, 16% too. Paid social media content at 14%, email marketing at 14% and content marketing at 14%, an even split there. Yeah, it's an interesting set of results, isn't it? Um, and it? And it leads me to think several things. Um, I mean, first of all, I think marketers have a predisposition to be always looking for the next, mm. the next thing, the new thing, the shiny thing that's going to somehow transform their results. We've all felt the feeling that we're missing out on a channel or a tactic or a strategy that we, we need to just discover and then everything will be, uh, you know, wonderful. So to see website, blog and SEO so highly rated, even before we try to determine whether it's B2C or B2B leaning, you know, it just kind of flies in the face of everything that we're kind of told sometimes as marketers that, you know, certain things are waning or dying and you've got to be investing in new technology and new solutions to, to continue to sustain your results. And I think as a result, even marketers, sometimes what they say are their primary concerns, um, you know, and what they say are their, you know, the things that they're most interested in learning or looking into can differ really dramatically from the things that their, their results show them are performing. Mm. So, you know, we've long believed in the power of the website to help B2Bs grow their pipeline. We think that blogging and SEO has still got a huge amount of value to offer a lot of businesses, not all, but a lot of them. We're certainly seeing continued excellent results from, you know, strategic content creation that has buyers and SEO in mind. So I think, I'm, you know, I'm pleased actually to see that so highly rated. On the flip side of that, it looks like all of these things are equally effective, and so everybody should do more. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, that can't be the point. case. We don't think, right? No, no, it, it is a good point. And some of this does surprise me. To be fair, some of it doesn't surprise me. Like you say, I'm not really surprised to see website blog SEO up there. I think, despite what people say um they almost don't it's not the sexy thing anymore to be doing so people don't want to kind of shout about it as being the thing that's working because it's just that tired old technique but it still works right so not surprised yeah. to see that there 
social media shopping tools, Instagram shop, TikTok shop, that kind of thing. I'm not surprised to see that so high either, but that is odd. Well, it is 100% B2C. And I think there's there's no way really that B2B buyers are buying through social media shopping tools directly on that platform. Or that B2B marketers are seeing success, you know, to this extent in those channels. No way. Yeah, I I simply just cannot see that. It's too much of like an impulsive place to go and buy from, um, I think. And yeah, B2B buying journeys and cycles are just too complex to be using that kind of channel yeah yeah, right right away we see the need to look carefully and try and get a sense of who's who's producing these results within the sample set yeah but for b2c like that makes total sense right yeah uh paid social media content i could see that working across both b2b and b2c it seems to have ramped up in both areas and you're seeing more and more marketers invest in content creation the quality of that and the distribution of that too like coming from both angles here email marketing is a funny one it is a funny one because it does come up in almost every b2b survey actually as well as b2c so clearly there's some success being had here in both areas i think i would wager it's more towards b2c because again yeah you've got like you've got so many emails in b2c that do kind of work like abandoned cars and discount codes and promos that kind of lead to immediate purchase and you can have roi from it haven't seen a lot of it work in b2b necessarily when i think of email marketing like yeah promos and discounts for large b2b purchases they're not impulsive things so can't be influenced in that way and no. like you know, lead nurturing emails and things like that simply just don't work yeah um, yeah content marketing at 14 percent doesn't surprise me either i see everyone investing in that right yeah absolutely i suppose you know one of the things that you can't possibly determine from the results of a survey like this is how are the respondents evaluating their ROI Mm. and and that can be deceptive at times you know return on investment isn't always revenue (laughs) in in the measurement isn't always pipeline and that leads me to wonder about you know paid social media content we've seen the value of that in B2B but you know there's directly attributable ROI isn't necessarily always the thing to go for because the performance-based approach to advertising in B2B doesn't necessarily unlock tremendous value. You're normally better off using it to create awareness, affinity, trust. So the direct relationship to ROI isn't always crystal clear to people. So there's some interesting nuance to that. But yeah, largely we see, and yeah, perhaps besides email marketing where you really do wonder who's seeing success with that channel, given the disaster zone that is the average B2B buyer's inbox. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of sense to these results. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get on to the next page, which kind of follows on from that. Um, Well, at least that kind of broad section anyway. So we've got things in here like um, marketing challenges, trends that deliver an ROI. Uh, things like that. Right. So should we get into this first one? 
marketers challenges so marketers face challenges with generating traffic and leads at 15 percent, keeping up with trends at 15 percent, understanding customers and their needs 14 percent, having low quality data 14 percent, achieving sales and marketing alignment 14 percent. well that seems like a very even spread doesn't it just yeah um mostly the, there's a common theme there i think which is you know marketers struggle to do marketing that is successful at generating the result they want you know and having a really good understanding of your customer and your need and and acting upon it in the way that you execute to generate the right traffic to generate leads that close which you know most top of the funnel leads don't yeah. um and conversely that looking like low quality data to you which probably is you know they're all sort of interlinked i think and are the pursuit of good marketing so i suppose in a way it's good to see those being the challenges keeping up with trends sticks out to me yes and i think marketers ought to give themselves a break in that regard um and you know not be led by the industry and vendors and hype cycles and influencers and everything they see because the key trends aren't changing that rapidly are they no especially in b2b as well like as we know it's always kind of lagging b2b marketing changes slower than b2c anyway so it might be slightly influenced in the b2c space i would say things move faster but yeah i mean for the most part you know the things that work work for some time before the next kind of thing comes along that's working so actually keeping up with trends and being you know totally on the nose with those things probably isn't as important as people might think just do the things that work for you and keep doing those yeah Um, we are all you know all marketers are b2b marketers are bombarded with messages about new tools that they must implement you know new solutions that they must connect and integrate and you know it's a it's an onslaught and it's constant but it isn't necessarily a reflection of you know the true state of the industry um, after all, you know, these businesses are, you know, need to generate MRR for themselves. And so it's in their interest to convince us that they are the next big thing that's essential to successful marketing. But, you know, the role, the, the buyer behavior, which is the North Star for marketing, I think, is what it is. Um, and, you know, no no amount of shiny new tools yeah. that call themselves the next cutting edge trend are going to fundamentally change your ability to understand your customer and market to them. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to this next one. Marketing trends that deliver ROI. I like this. I like this a lot, actually. These trends have generated strong results for marketers. Um, So I'm assuming the survey here is saying that these trends that have happened are delivering good ROI. So short form video is first at 17%, content show and brand values 13%, influencer marketing campaigns at 12%, selling on social media apps 12%, mobile friendly website uh, 11%, strange one. Yeah. yeah. Straight first, away. Yeah. Top three. Yeah. So top top three ring true, make a lot of sense and you know we concur, right? Short form video is the right form video for a lot of platforms, um, you know, and and we're seeing not just ourselves, but across the industry, the positive impact of creating video content in the first place and 
presenting it in short forms on the channels that your buyers are in? Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing is every channel wants short form video now, almost. Right. Um, so if you're not producing short form video, I would say start producing short form video because people are consuming that in almost every single channel and your buyers are likely to be in one of those at least. So actually, um, whilst I was looking at this, I dug into the stats on where people are consuming content in terms of social channels. So people are consuming most content on TikTok, right? And that is short form um, video content. So 95 minutes per day are spent consuming content on TikTok. The closest to that is YouTube, and that's 74 minutes a day. I would argue YouTube is still leans more towards long form video as well, rather mm. than short form, like one to three minute clips, although they're trying to do that with shorts, they're just not there yet and competing with TikTok. So um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, albeit at the, you know, total mass market level. And again, Absolutely. if you slice it down to what's effective at reaching your ideal B2B customer, you might see a different set of results in terms of where to prioritize. But yes, short form video in huge demand, lots and lots of places where people are consuming it and a huge amount of time going into it. So, and, you know, and I think as well, it plays into the next point about brand value where in the morass of marketing messages, and noise and now AI generated or potentially AI generated averageness, showing your true self, showing your opinion, your beliefs, your credibility and your humanity is a really powerful tool in B2B, not, not just B2C. So I think content that shows your brand values in the sense that you show people what you stand for, what you believe in uh, and what you're prepared to say on subjects is is an is a really really good way to stand out cut through and create you know resonance with your buyer um and it's becoming more and more important yeah and i i kind of say that influencer marketing campaigns almost follow that same trend as well because you're looking for that human connection with you know influencer this one I'm not too sure about for B2B, if I'm totally honest. I don't think it's there yet. I don't think influencers particularly exist, to be honest, in B2B spaces. I think people that have large followings are just simply that. They are professionals with large followings and a good point of view. Yeah. They, I don't think they would consider themselves influencers in the slightest Um no, an influencer anyway has come to mean something that perhaps isn't the original meaning yeah. of the word. It isn't practical to be an influencer in the influencer marketing, you know, sense yeah. of the word in B2B. You can't possibly procure, try, use and promote as many things as you need to, to be a, an effective influencer in B2B. But as you say, you've definitely got personalities who have influence mm -hmm. based on strong opinions great evidence um and there's actually a point later on which we think nails that quite nicely um but yeah it's not influencer marketing in the sense that b2c can be yeah we can go on to that selling on social media apps i mean i think we've we've kind of covered that with the previous point yes of course in b2c that's a great opportunity now 
prospecting on social media. Lots and lots of businesses are totally successful. But I think the truth is, or, or, or the reality is that the return on that investment is always going to be, you know, in the, in the lower digits. It takes more and more effort to, to reach and get a win via those channels, I suspect. But it's a useful tool to have in your arsenal when you're pursuing prospects, when you're helping opportunities make a good decision. Um, so there is some B2B in that result, I dare say. Yeah. And then the last one just seems like a strange throwback to 10 years ago. That is weird, isn't it? A trend. Mobile-friendly website has delivered ROI. Well, yeah. Maybe lots of people surveyed hadn't yet responded to the fact that Google does this mobile-first indexing and hadn't updated their website until recently and saw an improvement on their search engine positions when they did. But that is not new. That is not a trend, I don't think. Mobile-friendly websites, in B2B anyway, is just a must. And, and in B2C too, surely. Yeah. So struggle to understand that one. Well, now I think about it, though, if you didn't have a mobile-friendly website and then you implemented one... You'd see a huge result. Yeah, you'd, see, you'd see great ROI from that. Yeah. yeah. So actually... I can but it's just not clear to me anyway what would have triggered that now Yeah. in the response to this report when mobile-first indexing is not exactly new, mobile responsivity as a as a factor is not new yeah strange that one yeah all right let's move on to the next um chart so that title's a bit funny but the second one isn't so <laughs> yeah, mark says yeah mark says with effective strategies in 2023 list their top goals for 2024 as so top one we've got increasing revenue and sales at 24 percent Increasing brand awareness and reaching new audiences at 19%. Increasing engagement at 19%. Improving sales, marketing, alignment at 16%. And driving traffic to brand website at 15%. Well, I think this is great to see, right? I think marketers are finally coming to the coming around to the idea that it's so crucial to focus on revenue and sales. Like that is mm. the North Star goal that should be set for every marketing team. And I think that is represented here. So if you're not doing that, more and more people are doing that and seeing the benefit that it has. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the first reaction of readers might be like, might be like, well, duh. Of course, our objective is to grow revenue and goal uh, and sales. But yeah, so often marketers are, you know, not, measured not focused not incentivized not aligned to that actual goal as their kpi so we hope that this response indicates that more and more people are making it their job making it and being given the power and the ability to look that far into the results to optimize what they're doing around it yeah absolutely um, the second one, I'm not surprised to see this actually in there either, because I think that's so it was increasing brand awareness and reaching new audiences at 19%. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think more effort and importance is being put on brand and yep. awareness of that. The one thing I worry about is that as a goal, 
Um, yeah, so marketers are listing this in their top goals for 2024. Now, brand awareness is a brilliant thing. Reaching new audiences is a brilliant thing, but it's really hard to measure and quantify the success of that. So, mm. yeah, whilst it's a great thing, I think we were saying, like, um, when we chatted about this, just do it with purpose and yeah. meaning uh, when you are doing this. Don't kind of just use brand awareness as a throwaway term, as it can be sometimes, to be honest, you know, blowing budget here, oh, it's for brand awareness. Mm. Um, so we didn't see anything on it, or we won't, because um, it is hard to measure. But yeah, important, nevertheless. Yeah, we, we thought that it's worth sort of adding increasing brand awareness amongst our buyers is a good way to clarify and you and and consider the activities you're doing because there's lots of ways to create brand awareness is for you know arguably it's very easy but is it easy to do it in a way that reaches the right people and has the right effect on them no that requires purpose and intent like you said and we wouldn't like to see brand awareness being used as a sort of scapegoat for yeah. other failed marketing initiatives um but yeah, as an outcome, if you can build affinity with the people that you reach, that's really valuable given the way things are going in terms of volume of marketing that's being created and produced. Yeah. Um, I think some of these other things are mentioned later on as well. So they were the top two uh, there that we just mentioned anyway. So let's okay. move on to this next um, set of results, which is interesting, I think. And I like this one as well. So in 2024, marketers want to try out these things. Live streaming video at 14%, selling directly on social media at 14%, and creating interactive content like polls and games at 14%. Well, and don't leave out the fourth stat, which is displayed differently. 16 plan to try experiential marketing. So mm -hmm. you know, fascinating, isn't it, how equally distributed all these results are? It's just... You, you can't make that up, really. It's a really interesting outcome. But I think we, ma'am, do you, do you see a clear B2C, B2B divide here? In some areas, I think. Live streaming video, um, I think can work in both areas. Obviously have uh, little experience in B2C, but I think we're seeing, we're live streaming right now, right? <laughs> so in B2B, I think you're seeing more and more marketers do that as a way to reach a wider audience. Yeah, um, and there's there's a lot of it going on in B2C as well. You're absolutely right. I mean, on Twitch and on TikTok, yeah, an awful lot of people broadcasting live. Really interesting story I saw today, most recently. There's a streamer that advertises products for three seconds each. Mm. Literally shows a product and throws it away, <laughs> and they're doing great. They're going great guns. So yeah, yeah live streaming video, B2C and B2B. It's got it's got potential we love a bit yeah. of live video obviously um and it's such a good springboard into the other things that you need to create to do to to do effective demand generation today right so we would say yeah take that as a positive yeah it's definitely got legs something to try i think something to try selling directly on social media i mean who wants to try that in b2b well I'd say that you know, B, B, BDR, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's a sales thing, not a marketing thing, right? Yeah. Salespeople are encouraged and probably rightly to use social media as a tool in their arsenal to build a, you know, build a buying committee, 
you know, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But as a marketing strategy, B2B selling on social media doesn't doesn't add up in yeah. B2B. No, but makes perfect sense in B2C. Yeah. So yeah. I'll maybe lean towards that for that stat. Don't know. Uh, that's where I'd go anyway. Creating interactive content like polls and games. I kind of would lean this towards B2C again. Um, yeah, I, I suspect that the those things have had their day in B2B a bit. Like, we're also time poor, information rich, privacy sensitive, you know, uh, and so sort of disaffected with most traditional marketing that I'm not sure there's so much willing to take part in polls, games, surveys and things, you know, for the, for the, except where they come from brands that have got some kind of unique mm. um, reason to sort of earn our support and our trust, I suppose, like this HubSpot one. Yeah. I reckon that's a bit of a, I'm surprised to see that there at all, yeah, to be honest. Right. Um, but Hey, it is there. So I'll be interested to see, brands that do try that this year and what the results are well yeah indeed right and so right. again just yeah we'd see total sense you would probably struggle in most cases to make it pay in a b2b yeah. setting so I'm just... that. all right let's move on to the next few sections uh so we're in the awareness stage now so social media, there's a good slide on this, good page. So yep. social media is the place for search, sales, and service is yep. the headline. Uh, should we just look at these stats on the side here? A sec. What so we've got social, social search, social selling, and social service. Uh, so this is interesting. Social search, right. So social media is the number one discovery channel for Gen Z and millennials. 31% of consumers use social media to find answers to questions. Well, you know, yeah, I reckon, um, you know, search has, search has had its day in terms of being the, uh, the point of ideation for people. It's, uh, it's saturated, it's been mastered, it's been taken over by us marketers. And, you know, we've seen in B2B and we know that in B2C, Ideas are being formed and opinions are being formed on social media. I'm not so sure that in B2B people are actively mm -hmm. searching for solutions, yeah. but they are certainly encountering them and discussing them and and connecting with them on social media. So yeah. maybe there's a difference in behavior between B2C and B2C, B2B in terms of who's searching, but but it's having an effect in both. And we're seeing, you know, like you say, we are seeing buyers increasingly only turn to search, traditional search, once a certain portion of the discovery process is complete. And that's happened quite often on social media. Yeah, I think if you take the word social media out of that, it's almost just, yeah, people are searching in places before traditional search engines. So whether that be social media in communities, um, Reddit, you know, places like this, people want genuine answers that aren't vendor biased. Right. So, yeah, that's my my take on that. Yeah. 
social selling. So 17% of social media users report buying a product on social. 87% of social sellers say it's effective and 59% say they made more sales on social in 2023 than 2022. It's really okay. interesting how selling sales and marketing become blurred sometimes. Um, mm. But well, that... yeah, the thing is with that, though, I think when it comes to selling directly on social, like on Instagram and TikTok, that is marketing essentially yeah. because you, there is no sales Direct, because we're talking, talking B2C, yeah yeah, um, yeah interesting not surprised uh to be honest that more people are buying in those places and that it's becoming more popular that it became more popular as well uh, in 2023 compared to 2022 because i think these channels are pushing that more within the platform as well you see more ads for products yeah um and placements too. Yeah. Social service. So 19% of social media users reported sending a DM for customer service in 2023. I'm just seeing that as um, B2C, I think, mostly. Yeah, I think in B2B, the effect is that because we're used to using certain mediums as consumers, we sometimes prefer them over sort of stilted, outdated mediums of communication in our business roles. So, you know, telephone support, you know, is not most people's preferred channel. They would rather search a knowledge base, send a chat message, even if the response is delayed, because it's akin to messaging with someone on WhatsApp, you know, yeah. and in certain situations, you know, uh, businesses that that have got WhatsApp channels open, you know, will see people use them under certain circumstances. So I think I think there is a consumerization of support and, and service in B two B, but it isn't, you know, it's not necessarily for all the same reasons or or being used in all the same ways as B two C, um, where I mean, you it happened a few years ago, didn't it? You know traditional support for consume for big consumer organizations became so bad that people mm. just turned to Twitter. Yeah. And then when people ranted on Twitter, they got an immediate response and an immediate reaction. And so it became de facto the best way to raise, you know, support issues. And I think businesses, consumer facing businesses and business facing businesses have adapted to that. Yeah. Um, you know, those, those mediums are more effective sometimes. Yeah. All right, let's dive into this one along the bottom, which is top social social channels for marketing. And I think we should dissect this a bit because at face value, it's interesting, could be misleading unless you just take a bit of time to think about this. So I'm not going to read out every single percentage in here because it's quite a lot. But in order, top social channels for marketing based on um, the channels they are using and those channels that resulted in the biggest ROI are Facebook first, then Instagram, then YouTube, then TikTok, then X, then LinkedIn, then Snapchat, then Pinterest, then Twitch, then Tumblr. So the reason I would say take this at face value and you know dig into it with your own thoughts is that obviously you should only put your effort where your buyers are. 
and in either a b2c or a b2b environment to be honest it's unlikely that your buyers are going to be in every single one of these channels um probably not on facebook for b2b uh, unless you're retargeting probably not on instagram apart from retargeting youtube potentially tiktok we're seeing less of it twitter x i would say definitely not now less so anyway only yeah. for creators um and then you've got linkedin down there so yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to say with certainty what this set of results would look like if it was separated b2c to b2b but we can't help but think that linkedin would spring up significantly amongst b2b and that the roi is held is well if there's any b2c respondents in there that it's being held back by them and um, and the majority of this looks like it's leaning b2c yeah i'd say so there's probably crossover in there a little bit i would say um when you think about advertising like we know it's cheaper in places like facebook and instagram youtube is becoming more effective TikTok too uh so potentially some crossover but yeah i would say probably leaning more towards uh bc in here and you've, you've got the question again there about what is roi you know yeah. if it's directly attributable purchases that's not always what you see from a you know from a from the application of a channel like that to your marketing in so you need to you need to think about the buyer really and what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to do for them when you're using these platforms but ultimately clicking you know in b2b setting it's interesting how well it's not a social platform but forget that google is wouldn't be relevant here but ultimately if you put an ad out on social for b2b that says buy our thing now please you're typically not going to be able to see a great amount of revenue attributable to that ad because buyers aren't influenced like that yeah b2b buyers aren't don't respond to that whereas if you use paid social channels to share content that builds awareness yes but more importantly affinity and trust you might see the lift in your pipeline but you won't necessarily see what we would historically or traditionally call measurable roi mm. yeah i would say with these channels just kind of use common sense and research into your target audience and your buyers and what works in your situation and go off of that first. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and some do, I mean, there's a lot of very knowledgeable people on these topics that you should seek out. Maybe we need to share the names of a few, you know, on our LinkedIn. Um, but also trust your own data, you know, like so often marketers' own data tells them what's working and what isn't. And yet we, we, we're encouraged to kind of deny the reality sometimes <laughs> and just spend a little bit more time and money on perfecting the, uh, the campaign. Um, but, you know, go where your data tells you, I think, quite a lot of the time. And pushing open doors is what I always say. Yeah. But if you did want to experiment with new channels, this could be a good place to start and something to look at. Yeah. Right. Let's move on. So, yeah, influencers. We've spoken a little bit on this, but I think the point, and the slide that we liked was this one, right? And big headline, partnerships with creators are now indispensable for business growth. Now, I quite, I like this and I do agree with it, actually. I think 
when it comes to B2B anyway, which is what we're talking about, you don't necessarily have influencers, but you have a whole lot of creators and you have a whole lot of good creators that like to collaborate and collaborate with businesses. Yeah. And that can be extremely effective. Yeah, absolutely. You, we, you know, you see people, anyone who's willing to put themselves out there, you know, is a valuable asset to a business these days. And, you know, a lot of these creators are within businesses, but doing it because of their own desire. Um, but, you know, tapping into that is incredibly powerful. And, you know, it cuts both ways, you know, that you can make this statement apply in B2C, but it would be more the traditional influencer marketing approach. But in B2B, yeah, creators have the ability to, you know, stand out from yeah. the mass of, you know, highly orchestrated, highly perfected marketing messages that just we try our best to ignore um, and can connect with other people of influence so much more easily than the brand on its own. But it's also, I think this statement points to the power of co-branded marketing, of first party data, of partnering with other creators in your space to share credible opinion and insight yeah. so yeah a lot of lot of love for that statement yeah totally agree nice one kyle <laughs> okay let's move on to uh this section which is about well i mean it says seo but it's kind of content i would say content marketing um right mm. so should we look into, should we talk about this, um, the challenges stats? Well, you know, yeah. I mean, so the challenges that, that that respondents have said they face are finding ideas for new content, creating content that receives high levels of online engagement, creating content that attracts more traffic to your website, reaching your target audience, creating content that generates leads. What I think is interesting is that those, those to me, are, well, they're not new. They, they've been the challenges marketers have faced when it comes to content marketing anyway for years and years and years. And in some some senses, I'm kind of surprised to hear that marketers are still struggling with those given how much time we've had to figure it out. But on the other hand, they're the things that never go away. Mm. You know, We always need new ideas for content. We never know how well something's going to perform until we've done it. We're constantly on the hunt for things that will bring in the traffic, bring in the interest and the, the the high intent leads. So I think these are just evergreen, not challenges necessarily, just like they're just part of doing content marketing. Yeah. There are probably some things you can do, though, to help yourself if you are stuck with some of these challenges, like finding ideas for new content. To be honest, I was quite surprised to see that there because... It's not something that I particularly struggle doing, finding ideas for new content. I think when you're consuming so much content out there and talking to so many people, um, the ideas just kind of flow by themselves. And one thing I think you can do instead of trying to create an endless list of ideas for new content is just repurpose what you have. If you are creating content, do more with that one piece of content and focus on a few core messages, chop it up in different ways instead of trying to create something new every time. I think, 
uh, a very smart marketer said to me, amongst other things that recently, that they obsess over their customer. And that's probably a good observation because it's it's really easy as marketers to get absorbed in the metrics that we have visibility to treating marketing totally like a science where we're just trying to maximize a number or result. But like if you really focus on understanding your buyer, understanding their preferences and how they behave, the challenges, the things that they consume, you shouldn't be short of ideas um, of how to create useful content for them. Um, and if you create it with the buyer in mind, then the engagement should be at least likely. You can't guarantee it, but you can at least have confidence that you've done the right thing for your buyer. And that's a safe bet, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on uh, to the next part. This one just stood out to me um, yeah. on the content and SEO part still. So the number one most challenging aspect of an SEO professional's job is content strategy and production. I would argue I think that, that that is probably the most important part of an SEO professional's job as well especially as you find Google trying to serve higher quality content to buyers that aren't it's not necessarily written for them. It's written for a human itself. Um, yeah, you'd think that SEO professionals would have nailed the content strategy and production because it is the most important part. Yeah, you're right. That that's an interesting statement um i to your point i don't really see seo as being separate from content right anymore yeah you can't really have one with the other and maybe that's just that statement reflects to the shift that the industry has seen where once upon a time seo was a standalone discipline that had plenty of uh need to go in and fix technical seo problems you know that were spot fix yeah. opportunities you know but but those things have become increasingly done for us you know it's it's easier than it ever was i think to to operate a website to operate a blog to operate content in an seo friendly manner in a search mm -hmm. engine friendly manner yeah. and really the job has now become creating and distributing content to build your search footprint your organic traffic against the tide of everything else that's competing for that real estate. So, yeah, I think that the challenge has shifted. It is content creation and distribution, mm. you know, interlinking. So maybe that's a reflection of where the industry yeah. is at. Yeah, good point. Good point. Although right. the, you've got oh, to, when you read the rest of the page, you know, you see words like AI and it, yeah. and it may, it may be colored by the uncertainty that people feel about how to strategize. How do you strategize content? when AI is going to change everything in the next 12 months. And mm. to some to some extent, that's hard to say. To some extent, I'm not sure that, you know, it, it's going to have the big impact that we expect it to in the time frame. It, like, it shouldn't change your approach now. Yeah, stay on top of it for sure and yeah. look where it's going. But, yeah, for now, the approach you've always been doing and seeing results with, you know, keep doing it. Yeah. All right. Uh, search in general is kind of just good information rather than stats. Right. So we're in the engagement section now. Mm. Okay. 
So let's talk about this part because this is interesting. Chat, chatbots, AI related things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what should we pull out these stats down the side well, first? Probably a good way because I think the challenge with this section is it's fusing a lot of different threads. Yeah, into because the, head, the headline above talks about yeah. very much about human personal connection. You know, strongest connections happen via call, click, chat, and camera. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That doesn't necessarily, to me, stack up to go all in on AI everywhere. But it's in the detail that the the insights come out. So yeah, what stats have we got there? Yeah, so day-to-day -day marketing. Right, so this is how marketers are using chatbots. So day-to-day -day marketing tasks. 36% of marketers are using AI chatbots in their marketing role. 58% of marketers plan to increase their investments in AI and automation like chatbots in 2024. Now, AI chatbots... It's interesting because I don't think of the AI tools that I use day to day as chatbots. You know, when I when I interact with GPT-4 or Claude or any of the other tools that I use, they're tools. Chatbots to me, it just takes my mind immediately to the website and to the conversation diet that you know with, with the with the visitor. You know, but that's not what's being said here. You know, people think of GPT-4 as a chatbot. I, I don't personally, but I think that's where the sort of confusion maybe creeps in. Yeah, and I'm jumping around a bit here, but I like this last point on customer service and growth because I can see that in B2B as well. So 24% of marketers feel that AI tools that help customer service teams respond to tickets like um, chatbots, self-service tool, generative AI emails would help their business most. Yes, and I can see that working quite well. You know, if you've got a huge um, repository of content on your product, uh, it could be and yeah, and, and a high volume of inquiries to to answer. There's a yeah. massive opportunity there, um, and a very exciting one for the businesses that where it makes sense. So, in that respect, I agree, and I think I think buyers in B two B and B two C would respond well to that. Right? There's no there's no specific reason it needs to be a human who yeah. pours over a piece of documentation and gives me the relevant piece back if it helps me achieve my task. I'm more than happy for that to be an automated engine. Same. Yeah, if I asked a question about a specific challenge with a product and the human was just going to send me to this knowledge base article, I'd, yeah, I'd be more than happy for an AI to do the same thing. Yeah. to serve that content to you and as a productivity tool for marketers yeah i mean ai has got a huge huge amount of potential um, yeah. i think applying ai and chatbots carte blanche to the connections that you have with customers doesn't add up to the desire for you know human personalized responsive interactions and engagements but there are places where it has real value yeah okay Let's go on to this and maybe just a couple of minutes on this section, which is messaging, uh, because this mm. is an interesting one for me, especially in the B2B space. So this is all about SMS, I suppose. And there is a lot um, 
used in here actually but i want to dig out some of the stats within this body copy here because i think this is quite interesting so 87 percent of marketers plan to continue or increase their investment in mobile messaging through channels like sms facebook messenger and whatsapp right well that is kind of not surprising but i am really keen to see the results that that has and I think this is where we might see a split between B2C and B2B because I can see, I mean, SMS marketing works on me sometimes um, in a B2C as a situation as a consumer, as a B2B buyer, absolutely not. I think it's too intrusive. But, you know, if, if Domino's are sending me two for Tuesday codes, I'm all over it. If Dave at <laughs> Vendor X is sending me text messages to book a 30-minute call with him, his number's getting blocked. Yeah. I mean, it's the in in it's interesting that it's that it's positioned as a personalized channel. And, and I mean I suppose in some ways it's the most personalized channel because it's the thing I hold in my hand and no one else does. But it's the most interruptive. It's the most disruptive. And for me as a B2B with a B2B hat on, it's the most unwelcome. So, yeah, I mean, there are good there there are good ways to use all things, and there are bad ways to use all things. I urge caution when it comes to SMS messaging in a B two B context. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Even for post sales things, I'm thinking like in manufacturing here, where you might have like order updates and details. I still don't know how welcome that even that would be. Um, through SMS. No. Well, you you probably should only do that based on permission. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And 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 if somebody says, "Yeah, I want to receive those alerts by text message," then then great, you're probably adding value to them in that case. But, you know, our first instinct, I think as marketers anyway, is to automate a channel, use it at scale, <laughs> and measure the result, and that's where I'd say you've got to be careful with SMS. Yeah. Good point. All right. Email, 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 email. Okay. So email, it still works, but be ready to adapt. I mean, these stats aren't actually the most interesting for email, but we can pick them up, I suppose. What's the most interesting stat? I mean, email is just so... I, I do I do struggle to understand the... the um, the the longevity of email as a channel there's just so much of it flying around it's so poorly done and and you know even the good ones the harm done by the bad ones is so grave it's so great that you know inboxes are just filtered ignored suppressed they just don't see any of it now right it all goes to other places in this report, there's got to be a lot of B2C people seeing success with email and, 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 and telling us that actually it's a channel that works for them, which of course it is. Yeah, well, 87%. So they plan to maintain or increase their investment in 2024. Like I said, I can't see, see that happening. Uh, I've not seen the case studies, the results, the ROI, where an, e where an email strategy, you know, can... can it is 
is highlight is shown to produce results in B2B. I haven't seen a study like that lately. No. There was an ROI section in here um, on email. It might be further down, actually. Ah, here it is. Right. So this is an interesting point that I picked up on, um, which is around email. I mean, AI has kind of crept into this headline here, but this is firmly on email. So according to the people that were surveyed here, anyway, email has an average ROI of $36 for every $1 spent. And you know what? That stat doesn't surprise me, actually. I am not surprised that the ROI of email is good because it's so cheap. Well, yeah. Um, Not every email costs a dollar. No. Far from it. Yeah, you're not paying per send. You're not paying per open, per click. You, you know, spin up your platform. You might buy a list here or you obtain that data, but you're not going to factor that into your ROI cost. I doubt here. Um, so yeah, seeing seeing that, I'm not surprised. The, the, it's dawned on me that you know, for lots and lots of businesses, the ones that we see ourselves, the ones that we see reported on by others, the majority of their closed one pipeline comes from buyers who remained anonymous up until the point of expressing intent and interest in a demo or or the product itself. Meaning, you can't email them. You know. Mm. B2B buyers are increasingly staying out of the email list and the lead pool, except for the biggest publishers, you know, where they, where they want the content. Most of us can't build an email list and email it and get people to buy as a result. And you've only got to look at your pipeline and where it's coming from to determine whether email is an effective channel for you, I would say. And in B2B, you know, Unless you're looking at the sort of vanity metrics around email as a sign of success, what's our open rate, what's our click-through rate, what's our deliverability rate, which might look great, the impact on pipeline just so often isn't there. Yeah, man, we kind of spoke about email before anyway. Um, Okay, right, so we've got a video section here, which is uh, quite interesting because I think, you know, we've kind of spoken about video already and the rise of it from short form uh perspective anyway and this kind of just talks more about that short form video is the number one format offering the highest roi and we'll see the most growth in 2024 a lot of this is just reflecting that to be honest so yeah i would definitely get on the on the bandwagon when it comes to short form video yeah Yeah, we kind of mentioned this earlier, didn't we? Yeah, this is one of the points. So this headline, I like it. Um, As search fragments and consumers take their queries to TikTok, Reddit, uh, before Google, growth and social media teams need to forge a new partnership. Yeah, I agree. A lot of things are happening before Google now, like like we mentioned before, basically. (laughs) I would like to see some data. I might have to look around to see if this exists Mm. about... Because I'm not, I'm not so sure it's searching that's taking place. It's discovering, it's yeah. it's encountering, and it's connecting with content that helps you solve problems. But I don't know how much B two B buyers certainly, but also consumers, actually search within these platforms to find specific things. And I would say that B two C is probably more so looking for a product, looking for a supplier. But in B two B, I think it's discovery that happens. And that shapes search later. Um, I've seen it. I have seen it, to be honest. If this wasn't TikTok and Reddit, 
but with communities i'm seeing it more and more that people are asking in communities for advice on you know i need a platform for this or what do you think of this tool has anybody used it rather than searching that on google and potentially looking at biased advice you don't know where that information's come from you're getting it from actual human beings who have used this tool and don't have a biased opinion on it that's an interesting interpretation of the word search but i see what i see what you're saying and yeah. i concur yeah i just don't know how often people go to linkedin and use the search bar no yeah that is an in i've just thought that is an interesting interpretation of search but i suppose search what are you doing when you search you're searching for an answer searching and there's more than one way to search isn't there yeah yeah very interesting but there's no <laughs> denying there's no denying the shift right there is there's no denying the shift if you want to be found in search by buyers you've got to reach them first in social yeah cool right i think we can fly through some of this stuff because it um does talk about similar things this is probably one of the last points to cover actually which is cookies data privacy um, this is an interesting point because, as we know, Google are hoping to phase out third-party cookies. I think yeah. that's this year, actually, because they pushed it back from last year to this year. need to double-check what the latest is on that. But I think it was Q3 this year they want to start phasing it out, but it's pending some approval um, at the moment, so it's still not approved. But Nevertheless, there are people out there banging the drum about making a plan to um, approach this third-party cookie situation and with it removing. So there's a, a nice stat here, which is, is your company working on a plan to approach cookie-free targeting? And we've got three answers. So not sure at 12%, yes at 47%, and no at 41%. Thoughts on that, Phil, initial? Well, well, there's so many, there's so many nuances to this debate. I mean, ultimately, you know, buyers have been influencing vendors and to some degree governments to get their privacy back for some time, you know. And we see from a B2B perspective that the majority of buyers that go on to buy reserve hold on to their anonymity you know yeah. up until the last minute they, they don't want to be targeted they don't want to be in a lead list you know they want to be private and so in essence we've favored a cookie-less approach to marketing you know for some time um yeah it's uh, well i suppose if we ask ourselves this question right are we working on a plan to approach cookie-free targeting no no we're not. And I suppose... We know, go on. Well, we know that the platforms that we utilise will are addressing, will address this in the best way that they can. That's, it's a really thorny subject, you know, because yeah, Google's going to take away third-party cookies, but replace it with, a you know, another method of targeting people, you know. But for the most part, we prefer marketing that doesn't rely on infringing um privacy in a, in a way that is ultimately unwanted because let's face it the vast majority of permission that's been given and consent that's been given 
hasn't been given in a way that the buyer knew, wanted, yeah. you know, yeah. truly subscribed. It's been obtained, procured, and gathered, you know, one way or another. Um, no, we're, when when third parties, we we said we we joke we're, when third party cookies go away, we'll wake up and go to work and carry on because we're doing marketing in a way that we feel isn't isn't predicated on having that ability to target people in that in that fine privacy compromising way, I suppose. And you know, if you if you create and distribute content, you know to distribute it to your audience and you allow them to come to you, you don't need third party data in the yeah. same way. You don't even need first party data in the same way. Yes. You, can, you, can go, you can go zero party. Yeah, that, that was the point I was gonna make actually. If you're marketing in the right way and the best forms of marketing now, don't use third party data. They don't use first party data. They use you know zero party data that is, requires no data on yeah. you at all well this was interesting and you helped me understand it yesterday which is to say you know you made me think and realize that what's the difference between zero party and first party i i didn't necessarily i i, I couldn't necessarily explain that succinctly prior to our conversation yesterday which is zero party data is the data that buyers have given you explicitly yeah. freely first party data is the data about those same people, but that's collected by your analytics tools, by your website scripts and, and so on. But of course, the point you made is that a lot of people are opting out of cookies on the website. So you don't even have that data about their visit and their journey through your own website anymore. Yeah. You can't track them and until they convert and tell you who they are and what they're interested in, you've got nothing to go on. But actually, those are the best people to talk to. Those are the people that have done the research, qualified themselves, serious about spending money, and you've got a good shot closing them. So if you do marketing that's aligned to them and aligned to that outcome, you don't need first party. You don't need third party. You don't really need much of anything. Yeah. I think there's actually so much in here. We should do an episode on what third party cookies mean. Um and losing them yeah i think there's a lot in here actually yeah, yeah. a lot of thoughts to have on that okay right um this is looking at more ai things we might almost be there you know uh, was was it was there not um was there not something on personalization that we wanted to highlight other than to say that Buyers are not impressed by you dropping their first name into subject lines. <laughs> Personalization, which requires first-party data to do, you know, like email, you can't personalize really very well to people if you don't know who they are. And increasingly, people would rather be anonymous. But personalization, outside of B2C e-commerce, just hasn't been the landmark yeah. innovation that, that we anticipated you know, and people are not impressed by the basic level of personalization that's that that most most businesses are capable of and, and able to do. You know, like I said, you know, dropping in your first name to a subject line or to a landing page hasn't produced night and day difference in the outcomes, right? So, and I and I don't see how personalization and privacy are can be combined. Um, well. I do in a B2C sense, which obviously some of this data is, when you think about personalized experience after you log in to an app, a shopping app or something like that, 
having a personalized experience there for you you know these are the clothes that we think suit you best or this is the thing that we think you should have best that is a hyper personalized experience to my own shopping which i think is really effective um from a b2b standpoint yeah not seeing it no, and we talked about ABM being a place where you can exercise some personalization tactics. Yeah. But again, at the account level, not the individual yeah. level, probably to the most effect, because it, it's probably it's probably a deterrent these days to see y- your name or your job title or you know things of that nature. Just you, you almost know, don't you? You almost know that. Text. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You almost know this has been. You know, this is a, a blasted email that's just got a few tokens in of my data. <laughs> there was a brief moment in time where 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 marketers were able to do like literally personalized advertising, right? Targeting was so available, you yeah. know, like you could target people so accurately that you could put the company name or the you know in an ad <laughs> on the side of LinkedIn, for example. Oh, that's um that's that's really crossing the line i think crossing the boundary and it probably had a great impact the first time someone did it but then fell off a cliff after that yeah absolutely okay um we spoke a bit about ai already yeah yeah just don't cross the don't confuse you know the applications i think is the key when looking at this data you know and yeah, well, I mean, there was the SEM rush report about the, uh, the 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 effectiveness of AI generated content the other day, which we we talked about. You know, great interest. I think marketers using AI tool. It, well, here you go, the pie chart, right? We we like we agree with the findings of the pie chart. Most people are using AI to uh, as a productivity tool to aid their creation of ideas, to find inspiration, to rough out the structure of content to draft parts of it. I would hope not all parts of it, but few, few, few are using it to write content verbatim. And that's yeah. that's the key. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it can be relied on to write content that you then hit publish on straight away. It's just not, no. not there yet. But absolutely for ideas, inspiration, outlines, even to draft in some cases. Yeah, why not? Because it increases productivity. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So this, yeah, is potentially the last, one of the last points. Um, Right. So, yeah, we're on to kind of like marketing operation system tools here. So seeking a single source of truth is the headline. Um, I suppose we could focus on these stats here because I think these are quite interesting. So 26% of marketers say data increases the ROI of their marketing efforts. 93% of marketers with a single source of truth say it's beneficial to their organization. One in four marketers say their marketing data is fully integrated with their tools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we agree and believe that... The best marketing is done when marketers are able to see their impact at a pipeline level, right? And ideally optimize around the things that produce pipeline. 
And in so many organizations, that's hard or impossible to do because of disconnected systems and the lack of a single customer view. So if you're in a position to implement a platform that can afford you that end-to-end -end visibility, you're in a stronger position to do better marketing. You still need to align teams, goals, stakeholders, et cetera, et cetera, to allow you to do the right things. But it's a piece of the puzzle that you're better off having in place than not. And you know, my experience of integrated platforms is they just so often fall short of the of the hope and the aspiration in terms of seamless visibility of data that I think it's hard not to prefer a single integrated platform for that, you know, because ultimately, you know, an oversupply of data, tools, systems, technologies isn't isn't a good thing for marketers, I don't think. I think it's a distraction. You know, we can absolutely surround ourselves and overwhelm ourselves in data points. It doesn't make us any better at interpreting them or, or developing or executing strategies off the back. Most of those tools don't have AI in them yet to the point that they can advise us. Yeah, They can help us to be productive within them but they can't tell you what to do with all this customer journey data. You've got to do that yourselves. So I think it's about striking a balance between having you know, visibility data at your fingertips um, and doing marketing that's really informed by and, uh, and optimized for the buyer outcomes and experience that you're trying to build. Yeah. And just to focus on that middle stat, 93% of marketers with a single source of true sets beneficial to their organization. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because then every single team is, you know, working off of that, that one source of truth, which makes total sense. You know, you, you understand what's happening at a contact level at an account level. Um, everything can be aligned around that. You've got no, um, missing data sets out of anything you haven't got sales looking at one thing marketing looking at, at another customer success looking at another so yeah makes total sense and i think there was something on that uh later down in here yeah maybe um, not. you know you'd be hard pushed you know credit to hubspot you'd be hard for push to find a, a platform that's easier to implement that gives you a single mm. customer need and hubspot they've done a great job of building a connected ecosystem of tools that does just that yeah and this was this was kind of what i was on about um it's marketing that word's come back again um been around a while it's now come back but yeah marketing so sales and marketing alignment and they said sales and marketing alignment starts with centralized data and yeah you know it's absolutely true and the top sales and marketing alignment challenges listed here are lack of effective communication between teams, sales and marketing teams using different tools, difficulty sharing data between teams. Yeah, it's all the stuff we've we've kind of said, I suppose. It is, although I would say that there's a key thing missing from that, which is all of that is great, but pointless if you aren't aligned to the same goals. Mm. You know, and I don't think it's time between those spent discussing and, and talking and coming up with campaigns together that makes the difference. It's yeah. being focused on, honest about, and, you know, laser focused on the same result, the same outcome that will potentially inform you in such a way that it produces radical change in your go-to-market 
And we've seen businesses, you know, do it, talk about it, get off the MQL hamster wheel, you know, get off the performance metric, you know, train and start doing marketing in ways that builds affinity and generates those high intent leads, maybe at lower volume, but at much higher close rate because sales and marketing start looking at and talking about the same data. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I don't think I have much more to say on that point, actually. So shall we? Yeah, that's the end. Takeaways. Good stuff. Um, yeah, there it's we are. A, it's a, a very interesting report made challenging to dissect because of the combination of B2B and B2C data. But as always, some really interesting insights and takeaways, you know, that you'd be hard pressed to gather yourselves so um a good one to refer to yeah and interestingly i've just seen for some reason streaming up there's this thing where i think if you've got a certain setting on your linkedin account it doesn't bring up the name but we can see afterwards and somebody said a single uh, single source of truth slash data is a challenge for us at the moment so what would your response be to that phil uh yeah it's it's interesting and we make all our own problems in life don't we people um and, you know, it's only challenging if you aren't unable, if you're not able to move all the pieces on the board. <laughs> but so often that's the case. Um, we're told over and over again that integrating systems is easy. It's not. It's it's always hard. And getting to a single source of truth with integrated systems, I think, is very, very difficult for businesses. Um, however, if you're in a luxurious position to adopt a single platform, whatever that platform is, then a single source of, source of truth and a single source of data shouldn't be out of reach. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of, it's a tad frustrating just how hard we make it for ourselves to get to that, to that goal, which we all agree is so, so, so impactful and important. Yes. That's, that's the it's nature. It's worth it, isn't it? It's definitely yeah. worth it. So, but, you know, all I can say is like, if if you can keep up if you can keep moving towards it if you don't give up then then please please do because the end result is really worth it yeah all right i think that's probably a nice point to end on unless yeah. you have anything else no thanks for the question uh, well the comment um that, a very nice way to end and uh, no nothing else from me cool all right, let's wrap it up there. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Demand Decoded. Be sure to follow the Blend LinkedIn page for any future live events and catch other episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere really. Just search for Demand Decoded and we'll be there. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Thanks all. Man.